Welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where we talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. I'm M. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Lanvel. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottom. Bottoms up. Ring on middle finger. The first thing we notice that the bottoms up is the ring on the middle finger. Say it and move closer over. Anyway. Ah. Hi. <laughs> well, <I'm weird. laughs> you know, that M ring me that got call attention to I <laughs> Yes, there is. Well, I'm not never going to sleep again. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that hand. Not that hand. Not that hand. You're not going to play with Panda Luka podcast. Every week we come, I just start for business. You're not playing with Panda podcast. Lady. Show me the goal. Yes. See it? Hello. Come on. <laughs> Anyways, let's start with you, Glenn. What? <laughs> Since we last spoke, yeah, what's new? <laughs> hey, what is I've been working? Oh, oh, we don't know. We need to talk about the dog already. So it's it's really been very hectic with work. Um, because man, no, that quarter yeah, what about that, Mama Love? Like one bag of meetings back to back. Um, had a partnership retreat recently, which was really good. We just get some people in different sectors come and talk about how we can increase the partnership. But it's really been work heavy. Um, let me just get the ring some out of the way because I feel like <laughs> stay, right? this is going to be the focus and that's not the point of today. <laughs> My partner bought us matching rings and it's cute or whatever. So we decided to wear it on our middle fingers. You know, so yeah. Okay, cool. okay. Thank you. I don't know what kind of ring it is. We just have our matching rings. And that is nice. It, it That is nice. <laughs> And still not going in the right direction. My love. I mean, we get up this morning, I'm at breakfast also, which is, you know, understand, so it's not my team, guys. Also, also, you see, no, 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 no. It's all, it's all this thing about the um new man in your life, Anita, show my baby. <laughs> Alkaline. Alkaline said. Anyway, and also, I'm not going to bring the tweet up today. I'm not going to bring the tweet up today, but Emma, um, <laughs> what has been up with you? <laughs> same old, same old. Um, <clears throat> school, dealing with that and a bunch of other stuff work-wise. Um, I mean, may I inch closer to doing the real work? I'm so like, I feel like I'm going to come and report to the fish tea listener at all the time. So by and large, everybody I know are part of the PhD process. So... <laughs> You, you, you know when um, you defend, you know when you defend um, everybody have to have a link. I forgot, I forgot shout out to the listeners, of course. <laughs> I mean, notable mention, I forgot the, the, the acknowledgements, but um, I submitted my uh, my internal review board application on Friday. So once that comes through, then we can start collecting my data. So for all the newer listeners, and the one because it's been a process, can you remind us of the dissertation? Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> So, yeah, I study environmental history, identity, and governance in Jamaica. Okay. That, 
Oh wait, what about the maroon part? I may mix it up. All of that in there, but just never do one going to see much detail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the synopsis. <laughs> it was a very short synopsis. <laughs> well, may I learn because them see if you can talk about the thing in like three minutes and less. So may I like may I try? May I even give you two seconds? Exactly, M. This wasn't even an elevator pitch. We don't get one minute. Another focus for today. Lanville, how are you? Medea, <laughs> Medea. Um, so school has started. M did ask me on Instagram when school has started. So school finally starts. M, I'm, I'm going into my third week of school. I was just sharing with Glenn that I kind of appreciate this semester more because just looking back at the work that like J flag um does like our own policy a lot of it like like you you hear policy briefs you hear policy process and all that kind of thing but I think like this semester gives me a better appreciation of like just how policies are formulated and kind of the processes um that goes into that kind of formulation so I am enjoying I should enjoy I should have a better um semester um this semester um, but everything else has been good. The winter is coming. I love the look of autumn. I, I, I never really liked autumn before, but this autumn is... It's autumn hard. is that season. Okay. Autumn is that season. So I'm going to ask two questions. I wonder why. What's the special about this one? Yeah. No, so it, I, I, don't, I don't know. I have a... I have a I've developed a, a deeper appreciation for, like, nature and, like, seeing, like things change and, and how like the, the trees are changing and you know autumn also kind of makes you reflect on you know changes in like your life in general like the beauty of change really well I think I think having 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 experienced this is my third winter I'm better prepared. My first winter was very, very rough on me. I think I'm way better prepared for um winter this time around. I was about to say, yeah, get woolly family if I drop off a tree. I mean, I love autumn. You know, I'm gonna tell you why I like autumn. You can wear the cold clothes then, but it's not too cold, right? Yes. <laughs> that also. <laughs> a moment. He's a moment. Um, oh gosh, somebody coming on my head for asking or um related to. Like I said, I guess it was about the work that you were. So one, it's about. So I was gonna ask um a little bit more about if you could spot the differences in their kind of framing of the policy process versus what you may or may not be used to. Um, in so much that you're familiar with the policy work that we have done, and then the other part of it is what was it about last semester that you're like eh, about versus versus is it that it was more theoretical? What what was it? Um, well, the, I don't think we've gotten much into, to answer the first case, I don't think we've gotten much into like the, we're, we're just about to like do like the practical kind of stuff um, for me to kind of make a comparison between like, or what I understand about the policy process in Jamaica versus like in the UK. And I think the, also the thing is that because the, the class is made up of students from other um countries they also kind of get to have their input so it's not only like uk how the uk does um policy um the first semester was good uh, the first semester was was not all that because one 
um, my placement didn't work out how I wanted it to. And then I was doing research, which I already had an idea. It was basically repetition. I think I had an appreciation though for um, international human rights um, law that we did um, because and I, unders, I could apply our, our, um, some of the stuff to, as I said, like work that we're doing. So even like the, the periodic review process that I know that we engage um, in that, the shadow reports that um, we do and stuff like that, that came up um, in human rights law. So I kind of understood um, that. Okay. All right. All right. Fair. All right. So sufficiently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what's the topic today? What are we talking about? But today we are focusing on, or today we'll be talking to Giselle Fletcher. So Giselle, some years year ago, um, wrote this article called The Single Story. And since Giselle wrote that, I have I've shared that with a number of friends. I have also, I remember one of one of my first classes here um, in the UK, I presented um, based on um, Giselle's um, story, even using, using the, the TED talk that Chimamanda did um, to kind of reference um, some of the stuff that um, Giselle was saying. But we'll be talking about the single story of queerness in Jamaica based on the lovely, lovely piece that Giselle Fletcher wrote. Hi, Giselle. Hello, one and all. It is me, Giselle. So let's finally put a face to the article. I did not know it got that much circulation. I wrote it five years ago. I've never seen it about which is fine it got where it needed to go obviously never know say it do all of that around the world <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 to be honest i think for me like when i read it i too like i think because coming into my own was kind of different from how I, like everybody's coming to their own was different but i feel like i was more sheltered and i too had that single story um, I wasn't, I, I don't think I was exposed to um, queer couples or how people are forming relationships and seeing that healthy version of relationships and seeing queer people just flourish in Jamaica. I never had that kind of, I never saw those kind of people. So I also thought that, listen, you either go, go underground and live your life or you go do it on the down low or people are going to find out and they're going to shoot you or stab you or some kind of thing. And I, I, I got, I got a, a greater appreciation. I think the more I came into my own, I saw that, okay, well, mm, this is not necessarily, and I saw more examples. I was like, okay, this isn't necessarily what um, queer life in Jamaica is like. And of course I would have seen the documentaries of um, that American media would have, would have come and, and, and done on, on queer life in Jamaica. And a lot of those things, when you're just coming into your own, it does form how you think about your own queerness and queerness in um, the country, queerness in Jamaica. I, I, I think for me, I, I want to kind of get like your thought process on when you came to say, all right, cool, I'm going to pen this um, this piece. That like, what was what was going through your mind? Honestly, Goody, I don't remember. This was five years ago, 
And well, okay, I pub- it got published five years ago, but I wrote it like six or seven years ago. And there was this process um, that I would go through like every year around the anniversary of my father's death, which is um, September 25th. I would like write a poem or write a story or a recollection, which was kind of weird because we didn't have a great relationship when he was alive, right? He was a piece of shit. I hope I'm allowed to say that. Um, So it was kind of weird to, in his death, be think like be thinking of him from the perspective of like he's a victim of something even though he's also like an aggressor and a perpetrator in a lot of ways this man was gay and like what might that have been like for him to grow up with these narratives see only this one way of being and to try to navigate that society with some form of respect still a piece of shit but there's a lot of things that like you know both and there's there's lots of things happening so so one year I think I was trying to write something for him and I kept coming up on the documentaries and the articles about the queer people living in the New Kingston Gully and whenever whenever I read those I was like at first I was like okay yeah good yeah show us show us these faces and then after a while, I was like, these are the only faces they're showing. Like, this is an important story, but what what other what other perspectives, what other lived viewpoints exist? And I got really frustrated. And I guess I combined the frustration with my um, uh, fascination with my dead father's uh, queerness and put them together and boom, sit here. <laughs> um... So that I think that's what kind of touched me about the article in and of itself. Um, so for so for the listeners who aren't aware, um, you watch the danger of a single story. Um, the TED talk that was done by um, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, which is a beautiful frame for the conversation that we're about to have. That kind of helps you so you can pause, go watch it, <laughs> come back. Because it sets the frame for our understanding that how we talk about queerness and queer lived experiences have a certain impact on people inside and outside of the community. Um, and it was interesting to me to hear you package this very interesting story of the deal Jamaican man, so to speak, and what uh, uh, and a, a character that or a figure that I'm going to be very honest, in my lifetime, I haven't always been as kind and forgiving towards as an old um, gay man because of my own experiences um, with them. But you were able to kind of package the story that that operated on, for me at least, two levels. One, the level of the, the micro, the, the, the dear gay man now who struggles to one, navigate Jamaican life, and tries to eke out an existence. And he's not just a bad guy. He's a, ter- as you rightfully said, and as you started, terrible father, but a terrible father who becomes a terrible father in the context of trying to navigate this duality. But then also at the macro level of, we only talk about a set of experiences in Jamaica. And there, there, there's a kind of broader duality that is missed. Um, and that's what I liked about it. Like I like when people are able to speak both macro and micro at the same time, because that kind of feeds me. Because I think macro and then try to get macro to micro, if, 
if y'all get what I'm saying. Yeah, I I mean, honestly, I've never been on the receiving end of relative strangers praising my work. So this feels really good. <laughs> I'm kind of trying to bask in that while being very present and attentive, but boy, it feel nice. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, and I'll follow up here. So, um, one of your brothers would have come on the podcast. I, I listened to that one. You did listen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, on its second season. It was actually a really good episode. Um, how was your family's reaction to you, you know, putting that story out there? Because, you know, at that time, your, your brothers were very popular on Twitter. And so oh, I think that a big part of it becoming that popular, I guess for me, was also, I think that played a role in it for me because they're popular, their sister comes up with this story, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, sorry, can you reframe the question? So, me? so the question is, how did your family deal with you putting out that story? Um, interestingly enough, I, uh, I didn't really get much of a reaction from them. I'm not even sure if they read it. I, they no one say anything we don't talk about it um so it's 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 very fascinating to me that it got to you via my brothers who i've not heard they 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 haven't talked to me about it we haven't had this discussion no one is yeah and now that i think about it that is kind of weird that we are not <laughs> we not engaged in dialogue about this whatsoever. If my mother's read it, I would have no way of knowing because I suspect that um, content that would sympathize with my father for his homosexuality specifically would not um, go over well. Um, Anders? Mm. But yeah, so... Well, didn't get it through them, got it from a friend, but because it, a lot of it was, we all knew the Fletcher twins. So it was like, oh, ah, hmm. That was the reaction for us. I was like, this is interesting, quite interesting. Um, but over to, back to Edna Landville, while I also formulate some other ideas. <laughs> um, so I, admit, admittedly, um, I, did like a sur- surface reading of it. And never did your homework. I did not. Girl, listen, mm-hmm. I already, you know, I already you know, in our research program. Um, and I'm in all things for read every day. Um, but I'm curious as to when um so one one part of it mentioned like the like fear or some some somewhat anxiety of um your father being queer, having an impact on how you his children are perceived and treated. Um, was that actually a thing or did it become a thing after his death? Um, it definitely became a thing after his death. And I would say it was a brief worry because before he passed, no one knew. Like we suspected, had our thoughts, had our theories, and we shared them with each other and like with our close friends. But it wasn't like a uh, 
known thing. But my fear was that in his death, with his passing, you know, Jamaica Fulasus wants one person who everybody know. And then we never know if them just, if if in the reporting of his death, them would have said, and he was a suspected homosexual. I didn't, I had no idea, never been through anything like that before. Obviously, most people I would wager haven't. Um, but then the fear of like everything he is, is going to come out. And then they're going to use that to judge me and my family. And I was more worried about my brothers because they were men. They were men that would have to be uh, beholden to these very narrow perceptions of what masculinity could look like. And then some very ignorant thoughts like, like oh, maybe if him father did gay, then maybe him would have gay. And then I was like, what would happen to them? Stress, stress, stress. But then weeks went by and literally nobody else mentioned it um, to the point that when people know now it's because me and my brothers like we joke about it and we talk about it very flippantly mm -hmm. like oh yeah gay father kill him anyways so mm -hmm. so in terms of other people's perspectives that stopped being a, a consideration um or an inspiration for fear uh very quickly but in that moment when you don't know what's going to happen next you're like what the fuck is coming down the pipe and that was a potential fear there. Yeah, I, I get it because when when I start when I just started to get active again on Twitter around about like 2017, 2018, and I came upon your brother's profile. I think I came upon one of them first. I don't remember which one, but Kill Me Dead, them did queer. Look here now. I would wish. I and, wish every <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> and like cousin cousin. When, when you look at who followed them, like pretty much all of the queer community when we know what did follow them. And it, it took me a while to actually come to terms with, you know, there are many different presentations of masculinity. And, you know, this is this is potentially just how it looks for a man to be comfortable with who they are, um, with their with their gender and representation. And they they actually did a lot for me in terms of processing living in America where um you know, masculinity here is feminine by our standards mm -hmm. and just not walking down the street thinking everybody is queer. Um, so maybe that person, because I'm always curious about the kind of unspoken characters in any story. Mm -hmm. um, and like when I hear stories, like people's lived experiences, I think there's always that one character that you wonder, huh? How, how did how did they kind of factor into all of this and what what were they like since? Um, so you can correct me if I'm wrong. So you, you said there was an uncle that was always around. Well, whatever happened to him? Did <laughs> 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 you ever like talk to him thereafter? No. Okay. Um, boy, and I really want to tell all my business plan this look a podcast. <laughs> um, so the uncle needless to say, was not actually related to us. Um, <laughs> was a colleague of my father's and a very, a long time friend. Okay. Um, after my father passed, his mate, so father was a police officer. And um, after he passed, his men, which I called it, you know, tongue in cheek, double entendre for you. Um, his men went back up to the house after and robbed us stole our shit mm -hmm. um whether or not uncle 
was involved in that. I have no idea. But since then, we had not spoken to him. We don't have a connection to him. Our father was the connection and no longer. Interestingly, um, uncle's <laughs> child was also queer, but asterisks. Uh, she had a girlfriend, gay rainbow, yay, but then she was healed by the church and she's, she was healed from her queerness. Okay. So. Okay. But yeah. what was her reaction like? Because one minute I see that part, they come in. But what was, the, what was, what was it like kind of growing up with the, with the uncle and, and kind of trying to piece this together? It seemed innocuous at first. It was just like, a man will come round, and my mother worked abroad for a lot so we just we would always par with him and family and children um so we used to just it it didn't strike us as anything strange until like the end of my high school year it was like my mother just came back and or it was before she came back actually and some Saturdays we would just lock up in a room with this man for like hours. I'ma say them really close. And Douglas and David say, I, I feel like they're gay. But when you're young, everything gay. If it not look straight, it must gay, right? So I was like, you don't have to be that way. Maybe them just very close. I don't know. It kind of don't. But um, <laughs> but it it wasn't it wasn't till we did fast and got to him phone. And find out oh, definitively what what was what, um, but there were once we saw that message in the phone, everything started to come together. The different the different men, the, the, the things and such, etc. It started to come together after that, but we didn't really sus suspect actively before that. Why would you inform? Sorry. Um, all right. So this is why I no longer go through phones. <laughs> it used to be, I mean, used to have a boyfriend where you used to just be a dirty thing and keep up. And so I used to go through phone, obviously. And one Sunday, honestly, I, I don't know why the spirit take me, my ear, I don't know what inspired me to take up this man's phone. Just a scroll through my mother making breakfast because she just come back. I mean, I scroll, I'm gonna say beer text from upon a um Nokia 3310 too. Just a press the button for see. And he, I just, I, st I still to this day do not know why I went through that man's phone. But when we find out, boy, if I want to, what's pretty tech, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If I want to go to protect, and no closer to the, the end of the article, you spoke about exploring your own queerness, but was it before that, that, because you two, you'd say had that single story of queerness um, in Jamaica, mm -hmm. was it during you exploring your own queerness that you kind of said that, well, um it 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 can look different it doesn't all look the same it can look different yes yes um 
I, it was a really a combination of a lot of things, but that, that was a huge part. So I came out in college. I went to a women's college in Western Massachusetts, holy of fuck, but beer lesbian. I said lesbian, lesbian for stone dog. <laughs> and it's like, that was the predominant culture on the campus. And, and so, you know, if it's in a year, this is the space where it starts to come out, um, I believe. Even though there's this thing in college where like, oh, you're only gay for these four years and then afterwards you're not. And I was so determined to prove to people that I am not just a one-time lesbian. Um, I don't know why I was so determined. But anyways, um, being a Black person, a Black woman in a majority white space that is also woman-centered, quote-unquote, it really it really turns some things on its head. Like there's no one way to be black. There's no one way to be uh, a woman. There's no one way to be a journalism major, right? There's, there's no one way to be any one thing. And there's no one way to be a father. Some of them are good. Some of them are fucking garbage. There's no one way to be a prime minister of Jamaica. I'll let you fill in the blanks there. Um, so being able to see those different perspectives there and then try to fit myself into something that made sense for me. And honestly, what really did it was when I was in college and the more I came out to myself, the more afraid I was to go back home to Jamaica. I became more terrified, even though I wasn't scared of it before. But now that I know something about myself, like that is contentious to the culture of Jamaica, then suddenly I became afraid because like this, this is the one way I can see it going. Um, so, so it like at the axis of all of that, combining all of that, that's what helped me to, to, to realize that there's more than one way to be a shitty father, essentially. So I, 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 I still got the micro. I soon go up to the micro, but I still got the micro. Maybe because I fast me fast. But I also feel like there, there's a, <laughs> there's a, <not> me. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I see this. I almost, almost choked with the water. Um, <laughs> no, but I do wonder. Um, and 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 I say this for two reasons. For one, for one major reason. When whenever we do trainings, particular trainings with with public sector workers, they're largely attended by women, um, and it's dawned upon me that a big part of women's discomfort with queerness within men, because I think they're even less bothered by queerness within other women, but a big part of their discomfort in queerness within men is potentially ending up with a gay man who's lying to them, who are getting but Right, we have a particular crass way of describing it in Jamaica. I not put it on the podcast. No, you know, I'm usually not a baby, but I not say for the podcast. Um, even at the last training I went to, I I just Christoph just so happened to be there, and um, people he was on because we usually do panels where people talk about their experiences, and and Christoph got telling people to me and him love, and I think. For, for some of the participants, there was like this genuine shock. Um, I don't know why, <laughs> but there was this genuine shock because he's more masculine than me. And I think for some of them, he presents in a particular kind of way. 
And I think one person in particular, apparently she didn't, she, she just never seen coming. I'm not saying, I'm just like a water, I know it's my partner, but yeah. And of course we acknowledge when we talked about it a little. I, I am curious in that story, like how your mom, to the extent that you know, processed all of that. Um, in because your your father would have left a letter if I remember correctly, right? No. Oh no, not to my knowledge. Oh no, no, no. So, how did it? So you found out on the phone. Mm-hmm. Did you tell your mom? Call, may I check mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. You really, really want me to tell my business on this internet show? Look here, no man. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how she processed everything. So, I, so, <laughs> I mean, when you find out, let me know. We don't talk about this shit, right? My father is the pink elephant with the rainbow sash in the room. Nobody, we don't discuss him unless it's vitriol. We don't, we don't talk about our feelings regarding him. We don't talk about him. This is your typical culture of silence. We're not talking about it. I, I, I do know that my mother struggled quite a bit to what extent I don't know, but to the, to the extent that, um, when I came out, one of her not nice things that she said had to do with me being like my father, like she, like it was, you know, she'd still say like, she loved me. I'm her child, etc. But it was very, very clear that she don't fuck with this. This is like, I am her child, so I cannot be gay. It is impossible. Um, and you can extrapolate from there, I guess, what her like response or reaction to this be, especially being such like a fundamental Christian person, right? Born and grew at church, shit the Bible. Like she is like, she just, she, <laughs> she just loves it fascinating about all of that so more to the macro level it's usually them that end up with gay men can we talk about it it's usually women who are so like head down in the bible i always say look at the bottom of them the street you know they look man they put them on the streets and them 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 in the dance man so it can happen to them too but their men are usually bisexual bisexual like genuinely it's always the one who head down in the Mm. which is also another layer and I, 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 I told, to, to, to that extent, I really do empathize with all the feels, the, the feeling of betrayal, the feeling of hurt, the sets of questions that I imagine as a woman, you begin to ask yourself yeah. your, own, your own body, your own self-worth, your own beauty. Um, not saying that she must have gone through this, but things like a situation like that, which is a part of why not us always forgiving to deal men. Um, it forces the women to kind of go through an unfair journey that in many ways is thrust upon them. Mm. And so I feel like I'm a bit more, as the person on the other side, I'm a bit more compassionate and understanding of their, their difficulties and a bit more willing to walk them through the process, even though that can have a, it might end up with them saying all sorts of crazy things, but I feel like I get where you're coming from. Nobody likes to be lied to um, in that kind of way. And I think right. especially because of, of society blames women for men's actions and men's feelings, I, I, I really empathize. So that's, that was the source of my inquiry. Um, uh, 
I, so that's, I, thank you for saying that. It's very interesting that in this whole thing, I've really only processed like what it might be like from my father's side rather than my mother's. And I think it's because she's so homophobic. I find it very hard to like stand in her shoes and empathize because of how she feels about me and mine, right? We and ours. But my father belonging to that community, even though he was fucking gutter garbage, it's that's it's and it's such a rarely seen, maybe not rarely seen, uh, but really acknowledged point of view. I don't know. Maybe it's because he's my father. I don't know. But it's it's I should think about it from my mother's perspective more because that must have felt like shit. Yeah, there's a nuance there. There, there, there is that. There's that. There's a difficult nuance there of understanding why your father or the influences. Let's say that the factors that leads to a deal man. So let's move away from your father in particular. A deal man doing the things that he does. Um, because and which which is why I try to let women understand. So even as I I sit with their discomfort, I said, hey, the truth is society forces them this way. Also the ways in which women themselves maintain standards of masculinity and femininity, the way you raise your boys, um, not to blame you wholly, but all of this adds up to a society in which a dear man is going to hide. He's going to um, not want to necessarily face um, the, the, the harsh realities of what it is to be openly gay in Jamaica. Frankly, I never had that option. I, because I mean, <laughs> The other day, I come from a party, and one of my friends said, "See somebody, I, I, you know, I give me one of the to look them like, I want this man." And I said, "Oh, sometimes, sometimes I forget how obvious I look, but my obvious." So I never had that choice. So never having had the ability to choose between being out or being in, um, I I don't know what I don't know what it's like. So there's a way in which we get it, and it's. It's difficult to say to a woman, especially one who's been in the experience, that what feels sorry for him too. But also, it's very easy for me as well, because if if you've ever dated a deal man, you know my cross is fundamentally, then still operate from a selfish place, because I'm a man first and foremost. We move. Um, You can also understand what it's like to be the quote unquote victim of deal men and them look at dirty ways. And, and, and it's it's an uncomfortable mixture of places to sit in, I feel like. And so all things are true within that context. So if, if she homophobic now, and, and it may be because of the church, it may be because of her particular experience or some other things, I feel like I could sit with it, I could talk to her, I, I could deal with any woman in that position um, and work through the bitterness that is human to that reaction. But me not often deal with it in a way that makes it not about me. But also it's not my mother either. I mean, my mother did go her own journey. So that's not necessarily labor for you to do. But just to say, I I I know how I get it. I totally get it. But maybe shut up now, come up in attack. <laughs> I, I wanna I want to ask Giselle, have you have you ever have you since um in a sense exploring your queerness since publishing the article 
um i know you spoke about coming back to jamaica like summer and um during like like breaks um do you still have hang-ups about visiting um jamaica and in a sense not visiting jamaica under the pretense as a straight woman but in visiting jamaica and still be able to kind of you know go to places um and you know explore your queerness freely in jamaica yes absolutely um it wasn't that way for a while, but during one visit, I came back uh, like eight years ago in 2014, and I started hanging out with who is somebody who's now one of my best friends, um, and she is also queer, and she would like take me to the right places, and 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 we'd hang out with her and her queer friends, and every because of her, I would exist kind of in this queer bubble being in Jamaica, which was so strange because it, on the one hand, as a woman, I didn't feel safe. I can't wear my batty rider because then man pan Oprah, I got to feel like same can just grab her from my batty because it's obviously his. Or with the septum piercing, them just look straight in my face and call me a sodomite. It's like, no matter what it's like existing in this body, I will never feel fully safe in Jamaica, I don't think. Um, but because of the community um, that I've been welcomed into and the one that I've cultivated with my friends, I was able to meet like lots of, lots of, lots of other people. We would go to like these events where people would have bigger septum rings than me, like tattoos all across them, but like, them them top lip in front of them teeth bore and I was like it was so wild to me to see that within the context of Jamaica but it was also very helpful because I'm as a Jamaican like for a long time I kept trying to separate my Jamaicanness from my queerness because I didn't think that both of them could exist together I didn't yep. I didn't it felt impossible honestly um but being there during those times with those people, like having, which also inspired me to write the story. That's another piece of it. Like being able to see that there were people who like were putting on events and were, were honestly staring right in the face of danger, holding the hands of their partner, like walking certain places and like making out in different events and just seeing that we, there is a community. There are people in Jamaica who are living their best life, best asterisks. I don't know them, so maybe, maybe not. But they're living, like, out. They're not hiding. They seem to be thriving. And, and their queerness seems to just be part of them rather than who they are or make themselves to be. And it's just that that fucked me up in the best possible way. Um, and so coming home now, I'm not, I'm not... I'm not afraid to come home. Uh, COVID makes me afraid to come home, but not my queerness um, because I, I know where to go and who to go to. And I, I feel more skilled at navigating the Jamaican society as a queer person because of my community there. Um, I'd, I'd like how you put that. <clears throat> you know, that's, the, that's, off, that's often the, the side of being queer in Jamaica that we don't talk about. You know, the fact that we've, despite everything else we managed to create these communities um 
some of them exist in daylight, some of them exist in the, the pitch black of the night. But, you know, they're there. And many of us have been lucky to find them. And I've so been able to just, like, exist in our true selves despite everything else that happens um, in Jamaica. Like, I've not been home since I left in 2020. And that was one of the main reasons why I've not been, like, you know, excited to visit, you know, like, what am I going to do? I have my community there, but for the, by and large, you know, these are people who have their own lives and work and, and do all the things. When me come visit, then, you know, I have to go figure out something else for do, and I don't really want to contend with Jamaican society right now for those very purposes. Um, but, you know, like, you brought up this very good um, thought-provoking point in the, in the article about, you know, how the single story creates a homogenous um, gay population and this kind of, um, I don't know what the, what the word is, but you put it very plainly, homophobia is its own cause and effect, you know, like reinforces its own self um, and, and ideologies and whatnot. And I am thinking about, you know, what, what would necessarily need to come first um, in a reimagined society where people are not afraid to be their true queer selves, you know, because we we, we recognize now that the face of queerness is changing um, in Jamaica, so it's no longer um, dominated by the gully queens and that sort of narrative. You know, there are many more different narratives about being queer in Jamaica. So, like, what will it take now for some of those other persons who are living the DL lifestyle who want to come out to actually make that next step? Well, um, I'm very honored that you would ask me that question, but I do not know. You're a poet, and, you know... And I'm, I'm, I'm going to invoke the imagination of the poet right now. Okay. okay. <laughs> you're a poet. <laughs> you're, you're studying poetry. That's what your thing says. I did, I did study poetry. Right. Um, um, I would imagine that, you know, no one is free until we're all free. So until people in general just feel safe and comfortable being themselves without shame, without living in a place that judges them for who they are. Like, suppose a man on the ends just want like wear pink nail polish because it really sets off in gold rings, right? So being in a place where something as small and innocuous as that is okay, something, a place where like veering from the norm, I'm not saying anything that is very enlightening right now. Uh, I feel like you'd read this in a fortune cookie, but if living in a place where people are accepting and loving, and uh, I just, it, I feel like as, as a people, we, as a people meaning humans under white capitalist supremacist patriarchy, we tend to judge and police other people um, as a, reaction to our reflection of the way that we judge ourselves and the way that we were raised as judged and shamed. And until the philosophy that hold one race inferior and another superior 
is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war. <laughs> no, it's it just, it just funny how oh, oh, capitalism just make it rain at everything. I mean, because it <laughs> is an insidious motherfucker. Look here, the other day something happened and I could not take time to grieve because what? I had to work. Work, work is the bane of our fucking existence and if we didn't have to sell our labor to survive, there's so many things. Who would give a shit if you're wearing pink nail polish and walking down That's after so, two? That is so, and... so true. No but way. like the cynicism, the cynicism may just um, want to bring up like, you know, what the hell is Jamaica's problem? Like, it's such a queer culture, like <sighs> I mean, <yeah>. you know, <laughs> as you said that. So what? What that brings me back to it. It's a conversation I was having this weekend um, about um, the, the about how in Jamaica we allow for so much queerness, and like there are parts of the society, rural parts, inner city parts of the society where queerness is. A thrive in its glory that you never imagine. And, it, and, 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 and what I think, what my current theory I have out there is, is that it's the vocalization that we as a society have a problem with. Um, like it, you, you allow for it, but you don't say, you don't speak about it. And that for some reason, there's a, it, in the minute that we do that speech act, it's almost like we recognize it as a stamp of approval and that we're also making comments about who we, the person who is doing the recognizing and the acknowledging, uh, that, that's also a comment about us and who we are. And we haven't got to the place where I can simply say, all on, you know, equality, tolerance, all of that without that shining back a light on, oh, I... I am um, that this naming that I too am a part of this community that I'm acknowledging and recognizing. And it's it's the fear by association that runs us. And I think that's it. I mean, there's some some insidious issues with that, of course, but I think that's a big part of it. Because if you just think about just think about all the people in a homophobic society that continue to get presence of that that, that dominate. The, 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 the gossip blogs and stuff like that. Think about how we allow for men, because even though you say, you know, Jamaican men, you know, they operate in a certain way, they're very queer looking. I and mean, when you compare them to men in other parts of the world, then they're queer, you know, they, they would never be able to accept that. Or maybe at a certain level, they do accept that, and that's why they need the homophobia for cleanse the space. That's also an exterior. So maybe there's also that. When you have a very homosocial society, the only way then you can kind of say to people that, all right, we're very homosocial, um, don't take no way of it, let's be homophobic to make it clear that all this homosociality is above board. So there are all these things that are at play, right? Um, I don't know where, when we'll get to that, I don't know what it will take us beyond visibility conversation and engagement to get to that point where you're not gonna need a homophobia to cleanse homosociality. And you don't and you don't need to think that vocalizing means that you are declaring for yourself. Um, but I did have one more question. Um, and, and that is, why did you use that frame? In telling this story, why did you go to that particular frame to talk about the story of the, the danger of us in the story? 
why 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 was that the the kind of yeah the analytic analytic frame for you the frame being the single story yeah because i feel like that i mean in a in a in a way you could have kind of told that story about your own journey and and dealing with your own the experience with your father without kind of using that frame almost yeah um honestly i couldn't i'd been tr- i've been I've been trying for before I, as part of writing this, I'd written very different versions before, and I tried to write it without the framing of the single story, but it didn't, it wasn't, it didn't cohere. It didn't come together in the way that it did in my brain. And when I watched that TED talk, I mean, fuck her big time right now. But then when she made that TED talk and did, and and gave me that language, then things started to click because also living it, oh, something else that happened was one time I was, I think I was watching Drag Race or something on season four and Dita Ritz said that she doesn't eat fried chicken in public because of the stereotype of black people and fried chicken. And I was like, but black people love fried chicken. That shit's popping. Like, why should we not do something we enjoy because it's seen as a stereotype? Like, what is the role of stereotypes in us defining ourselves for ourselves? And then being like making sense of of what it means to what what a stereotype means to us. Like, it's not necessarily not true. Right. Niggas love watermelon. I personally hate it, but that's between me and my God. And fried chicken and, and the big lips and what like it's true, but it's when you take away the humanity behind it, when you make this thing stand up as like a cardboard cutout of itself, then she, then the stereotype is fucked up. So what are we missing from those stories? What's what context isn't there? And then her giving us that language in that us that language in that TED talk that put it all together for me. Like, okay, he like, there's one way that queerness in Jamaica is portrayed to the general public. Of course, people within the community know that there are more nuances to it, but to the outside world, it seemed like I eat that and I eat one. Um, so like, yeah. anyways, hope that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it did. Okay. I feel like you're uncharacteristically quiet that episode here, and then. Um, but look, no. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn, look how I have been participating in the conversation. I'm going to understand, Glenn. <laughs> I have not. I've been sitting and I've been taking in um, Giselle talking. Okay, but anything, anything else you want to add, say, think about? Um, no, I I think my maybe my final thing would be because I, I like I and you, you and you spoke about like foreign media like coming in and them telling the story and them mm-hmm. not um adding context and all that kind of thing. Um, maybe the role that the organizations that you spoke so the 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 we change the the J flag. What's their role in kind of reframing the narrative that has been out there 
um are we kind of too far gone people already think of we, we, even though um that time article was written in in 2006 people still think of us as the most homophobic place on earth one killing and <laughs> we, we get back um the title um despite other countries having record of uh, um yeah how, how do organizations that do the work um and how queer people themselves in Jamaica kind of reframe and retell stories of queer life um, in Jamaica? I think one important thing that they do is they give context. They contextualize the situation of Jamaica and being queer in Jamaica. They also treat queer people like they're valuable, like they're worth something. Like they're not subhuman just because they are queer. They create these organizations to cater to and to support them and to basically be like PR for the rest of society. As for whether or not Jamaica is too far gone, I do not know. I don't, I don't know. If, if I were to look at the context of the entire world and how this shit is on fucking fire right now, I would say that we're all doomed and whatever is happening right now is just what it is but i don't want to come on a nice lovely podcast and sound like such a hopeless bitch so i think (laughs) i think i think anything is possible the very fact look the very fact that my brother okay was very very disrespectful to me when i came out homophobic motherfucker the fact that no he is like walking these streets, having conversations with people about their homophobia without internalizing the fear that people will see him as queer. Look, if that can happen to him, anything is possible. That is what I will say right there. Um, As for the work the organizations are doing, I think I addressed this already. They're just, they're, they're changing the narrative by adding context. They're adding color, so to speak. They're putting different speakers by the mic. Um, and they just, the master's tools will not dismantle the master's house, word to Audrey Lord. So just visibility alone, now I got to do nothing. But when you go in the street, you provide resources, you provide support, you give these people more than one way of just living a life. They don't have to walk the road of the single story, right? They make other things are possible. The, the potential of so much more. Inher- inherently I think helps change the context because it widens what is possible boom mic drop <laughs> and, and water is now dry that is right but there's something I want to say um, and, I th- and I think why that article was even shared with me I mean it was a given it shared I never called him but podcast I'm like give me a look break I'm going to be this again I think there's a reason why he shared it. And I think why that particular article, I remember reading it and was touched by it on on all the levels that it operates, but more from the level of somebody who now has been doing this for six years. It It nourishes me to the extent that you get it. And I say this because I, we, as an organization, me as a person as well. I mean, we get flack all the time for not leaning into the traditional narrative. 
Um, and, and, and we'll always have to navigate that because, you know, people always feel like there's a specific way that you need to do advocacy and it's by saying that, oh, we're all dying or it's, it's all very bad. And the minute that you don't kind of jump onto that and, and lean into that, then you're insensitive, you're unkind, you're privileged. I mean, yes, I am privileged, but your privilege is why you're not seeing it. Even though nobody don't know my story, I know we did go through, but you know, but we move. But we move. Yeah, and it, it was important, it's always important for me um, to hear people get the importance of why we need alternative stories. And I, I, I would always be, I would always bring it back to a conversation I had with Jay before I started doing this work, when I remember he was getting that same flack. And originally I was among the people giving him the flack. I mean, I said, don't deny the homophobia things, been happening, people have bad experiences, what do you mean? What do you mean, that's so bad. And then he, I remember he made a very particular Facebook post, that's what, that, back when Facebook was a thing, you know, so you know, years ago. Um, and he said queer people need hope mm. queer people need to know that life is possible and it once he said that it shifted everything for me it changed how I viewed and understood what the organizations that what the organization was doing um, and why and, and it shaped so I think about presenting the truth to um, local media, foreign media, everybody, and how I frame what I frame and, and the things I say. And it's because it's true. When you live in this country and all you ever hear, all you ever see is queer people live in gullies, queer people live, uh, queer people don't have happy lives, queer people don't, there's no happiness for you, then it sends a message about do, do your value as a person it sends a message about the quality of life that you can experience you can experience and and, and reinforces a, this notion that you're not worthy of goodness and then on the flip side of it once you see that it is possible to have to eco some existence it might be difficult there might be some factors that make one person able to do it better than you might be able to and you must be cognizant of that but once you see that kind of narrow possibility, it changes your viewpoint of how you see it with and engage the world. And people need that. People can't just live in this space of, well, it doesn't make sense because not, not change and I'm not going to be as well, but just don't care about life. And like, no, people need to know what is possible. And I think for a very long time in our community, we, we, we never have no hope. <laughs> I think some of us still don't, and, and it's sad. And, and because we do not have hope, the movement is stifled because people don't feel like if I push and I try and, and, and add value to the space, that there is something that something might come out of it. People don't, people don't think that they can add their two cents and move things along. So they, they just check out altogether. Don't, don't add what could possibly be a game-changing um, element of the movement and we end up being stuck. Um, and so we need stories, yes. we need the different stories. We need it so much because otherwise we 
kind of shock ourselves into inaction. And it, 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 it really is sometimes frustrating for me that people don't understand the psychology of needing the positive stories. Yes. That we need to know that there are, there are realities, <laughs> there are universes in which um, we, we end up okay um, and we have decent enough lives um, and that the work is really getting those those spaces, those universes to become universal, you know? Mm. Um, because also those spaces become the nourishing point and the refreshing point, the watering hole for the rest, for those of us who then leave and go out and try to spread it around. And like, it, it's so important. And so that's why when I saw it and the article, I was like, yes, yes, somebody somewhere, we just gotta get them out. Jesus Christ, get <laughs> Because we, we obviously need to talk about um, yeah. the losses, the pain, whether it is death, violence, the, 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 what our community go through. Like, we can't ignore that. But we also have to talk about the fact that an openly gay man was awarded a National Youth Award last year, like, for the first time in its country. Like, we we'll have to talk about that. What does it mean that that's a possibility? Um, we have to talk about these things. Um, and then we need to then drill down and figure out why was that possible for him? What were the things that were in his favor? And what were the things that wasn't in his favor? And how do we remove the barriers for everybody else? And that's why one of my favorite pieces of literature um, or an advocacy was Janet Mock's book when she talks, when she did Redefining Realness. Like how she talks about all the things that went right in her life and all the things that she needed so that her life could be what it could be. I said, yeah, we get it now. And I think that's why we need the story where the trans woman doesn't die at the end. Which yes. Is why, which is why when even though you know, people were critiquing Pose, and this is an aside that, oh, some of these things weren't realistic. And true, some of the things weren't realistic near the end in season three. But I feel like, you know, trans people didn't need a win. Okay, I don't I don't watch season three yet, son. I'm about to... Oh, I'm about to say nothing. Okay, good. Because I'm waiting for a time when we can just sit down and take all of it in. You know, I'm going to want to piecemeal it. And since it's the last one, I want you know, have like a glass of wine and them something like I can't watch it with it. So nobody spoil it for me, please. But no, but I, this is the last season. So I'm all of her little. But love me now. Okay, okay, okay. But yeah, but yeah. So that's just my saying thank you. It really meant a lot. To know that some you know people get it and other people understand it. I mean, the girls who get it get it. The I just want the girls who don't, don't get it to, to get it. They know them. The sad thing is that they need to get it to come more. <laughs> they need it more than we. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. It's really my long-winded thank you. I am very, very, very honored that you all took the time to read this. Um, I really did not think it it reached anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things that I had to write and I had to put out there and it it reached with for each. So thank you very, thank you very much for all these kind words and these engaging questions. I've made a think you're asking about world peace. Oh my can't solve the problem. The article yeah must be my sound smart because you asked me a bag of important questions. <laughs> Oh, not world, please. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that's him, actually, though. <laughs> yes. Uh...
Yeah. But no, it, it's a really it, it is really um a very good and thought provoking piece of work. Um and like as I, I sit and I listen to you explain all the different motivations for writing and you know all the stuff you said and listen to Glenroy's closing statement. Um I'm seeing where this this framing of of the single story like we're going, we're going to find a way to weave it into my dissertation so when people start <laughs> cite your work <laughs> because it's citable, then you will know because um, <laughs> one of the main populations I'm working with, I feel like they're suffering from a single story, mm. right? And you just like really opened up my mind to how many different ways I can actually approach talking about this. So yeah, great stuff. <laughs> my work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you so much um, for coming on the podcast. Um, and thank you, listeners, as always, for faithfully listening to us ramble on bulletins them So, as usual, and as we say, if you want to give us your feedback, it's at Fish Tea Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. And you can also email us at Fish Podcast at gmail.com. As we say, I think it is very curious. Say monkeypox just disappear. I don't hear nothing about it. I don't hear nobody at all about it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the vaccine and get around and I and it miss me. But you know, we don't need for the COVID still about. But once again, when I talk about that either, so don't need for do. And I hear there's super gonorrhea in Jamaica. <laughs> Apparently, I hear. I don't know. I, I don't know how true that is. Oh, it catch super. I saw, I Sorry. saw the tweet. I think they were talking. They were saying something about some some it's resistant, um, it's resistant to treatment. Yeah. So any antibacterial treatment that exists now, it's resistant to it. So we so we treat it with. Uh you don't. You, don't. <laughs> you can treat the symptoms, but not the the bacteria itself. Which is, why, which is why people end up end up being hospitalized even after treatment. I mean, dead. No, no, girl. If nobody, I don't know if anybody has died from it. Um, they just have to go there. Just have to go there. Have to go there. You've never heard of a super bug, Lukoga? No, I will. Yes, Glenn. Land will have to go do a healthy body. Yes, um, Glenn. <laughs> you just have it. When, 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 when people take antibiotics and don't finish it, you get a bacteria chance to develop a resistance, resistance to it. Which is why the treatment them after always gets stronger, stronger, stronger. No, them have nothing for it. So, so them can get super penicillin. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they'll come up with something soon. But like just right now, it's just what it is. But thankfully, ring the puff finger and I forgot a road. Yes. <laughs> super penicillin. <laughs> yes. Super penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> Also, yes. it's one of them something you can't catch without without not necessarily having sex. So yes, yes. So, keep your super penicillin closed. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> Anyways, but no, we can't have fun at deep end, but child. As we said, sophisticates, stay sophisticated and run. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>